Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm 37 ticks. In a row? And I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> Welcome to episode 132, Halloween Havoc 1994. Witness, Witness. the terrifying rage in the cage. Such a good tagline. Yeah. It's the best. Woo. Such a great, really great tagline. <laughs> this is the sixth Halloween Havoc produced by WCW. It was held on October 23rd, 1994 at the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, Michigan with an attendance of 14,000 people. I mean, you know, guess who's showing up on this show? Yeah. We doubled the, um, over the, like over doubled the last attendance. Yeah. We're in the Rock, Detroit Rock City. Detroit. Yeah, Rock we are. City. We are in Michigan. Ooh. I remember yeah. the last time we were in Michigan. Shane brought us this really, <laughs> what did I bring? Really time? good drink from, like the, it was the boat. The boat goes up to like Traverse City, and it was the bar. The guy, it was a pretty flavorful, fruity drink, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't know oh. What the hell it was called? I don't know either. I saw the Fishman's Punch. That was good. So that's the one that I was coming to mind when he was talking about boat. Give me a couple seconds. I'll, All right. I'll, I'll get it here. We'll, uh, we we'll, we'll fix it in post. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. What the hell drink did I bring from Detroit last time? The Hummer. Ah. Mm -hmm. I kind of remember that. The ice cream, yeah, Kahlua, was, Bacardi Light Rum. Yeah, that was ice. almost kind of like the Bushwhacker in a way. I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. that was what it was. Yeah. yeah. Either way, funny. it was. Um, it involved sugar. It did. <laughs> so... You know, we're uh, back we're, in Detroit with a cocktail. We're back in Detroit, and uh, yes, I brought another cocktail. As Michael just pointed out, the last one was very sweet and sugary because of the ice cream and the uh, sweet alcohols that went in there. This one, however, you know, it's it's Halloween Havoc, which a lot of times is kind of a bullshit show. Uh, yeah, it can get a little scary at times, uh, a little painful to to digest. <laughs> <laughs> Which leads us to the uh, unofficial cocktail of Detroit, known as the Bullshot. Which, uh, after last week's episode, I'm going to dub this the Colonel Parker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it's the shits. Well, color wise, yeah. Color wise, this uh, is often been called the uh, the salty cousin of Bloody Mary. It has some similar ingredients to it. Vodka, uh, a little Worcestershire sauce, dash of hot sauce, a little uh, lemon and lime juice. But then it kind of veers off into its own little direction. Where we get the salty part. Yes. This is where the salt kicks in and uh, won't quit. Instead of your typical tomato juice or Bloody Mary mix, we use beef consomme, uh, which is like a, a beef broth soup, which has just been condensed and the, the flavor just keeps... Building and building, and the, the salt comes to the, the forefront. I'm making it sound like it's absolutely horrible and dreadful to drink. I'm slowly sipping on it, and it's, as I said, it's, I don't hate it, 
it's not my absolute favorite, but I could see myself one day possibly making another one just because to see if... just to see how it ages. The yeah. uh, I think that if I were to do this to try this cocktail again, I might go with a low sodium beef broth. That would be a wise choice. Like I said, I use the consomme soup. Other recipes call for just be your basic beef broth, which may uh, cut back some of that sodium kick here. This is a, a Campbell's beef consomme, so it's ultra sodium. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a salt bomb. It, it's, I will it's say, very much a salt bomb. I don't know if I've ever had anything that quite cuts the flavor of alcohol <laughs> like beef consomme that's the truth yeah <laughs> i'm just saying typically with your bloody marys oftentimes you know i can taste when there's too much vodka in it and i keep adding another little splash after i make room in my glass just to cut through the flavor of, of the, the salt the salt and you still can't taste the booze yeah. so for any of you uh, folks out there that are trying to get ripped but you just can't stand the taste of alcohol try pouring I don't know if beef consomme beef will help you get rid of consomme well, into like, the like drunk. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Like rip, rip or drunk. You know, three sheets to the wind. Yeah, I can't. You can't taste the alcohol. Yeah. No. Apparently, this was a popular drink with you know, the some celebrities back in the day. Here, Malcolm McDowell, Joan Crawford. God, no. I can, but I can. Was such a I, fucking bitch. She's <laughs> drinking this. I mean, Malcolm McDowell. Pepsi. Always, always the villain. This is a villain's drink for sure. I can totally see Malcolm McDowell sucking one of these down. Yeah. And maybe uh, that's why he drank all that milk in uh, Clockwork Orange. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> something to get that salty he, taste he out of his mouth during the press rounds to clear of, the Clockwork Orange. It said yeah. so. Um, but yeah, it started at a place called the Caucus Club in Detroit uh, back in the fifties. The owner struck up a conversation with a guy who had a, a Campbell's account. And they talked it up to see how the hell they could sell their uh, their canned beef broth. And they came up with the idea to put some booze in it and drink it. <laughs> Which led to the... What if... Campbell's Soup on the Rocks ad. Which, yeah, it's just a, a, gla- a rocks glass with like somebody pouring <laughs> beef broth into a cup. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I am usually very kind to... Most of the things that Shane brings, even when I don't care for them. Yes. There will be no happy. I absolutely do not like this. <laughs> I'm I'm also a guy that's not very picky and I'll try just about anything. So I'm basically doing this on uh, principle. Uh, just like going through it. Like, you know, I'll try, I try just about it. anything yeah. twice. Yeah, for sure. But I, I'm just not, I'm not a very picky it uh, might eater be in better the first if, place. You know, we put like half the amount of consummate in there and then just like put water for the rest of it because then it won't taste like you've just chewed a bouillon cube yeah i would probably add a little more hot sauce honestly yeah just a little a little more of a zing i have to switch that next because i can only add so much vodka before <laughs> i can't drive home so. oh, yeah <laughs> true that mm. <clears throat> well, let's talk about something that happened right around the same time as halloween havoc couple of classics would hit the theaters. Some Miramax classics. The next, the week before the show, Pulp Fiction and Clerks. The launching point of, I mean, you know, Pulp Fiction launches Tarantino into the stratosphere, but like, so it's his second film, but really launches him to basically he's only ever got to make whatever he wanted since this. Yes. He got a blank check. He got a blank check. And, um, you know, 
Kevin Smith, he's still making movies. <laughs> he's currently making Clerks 3. Oh, okay. <laughs> they are actually filming it. Yep. Right now. I, I get Facebook updates. Would you guys say that Clerks is still your favorite? Clerks was never uh, my favorite. Kevin Smith movie? Mm-mm. I'm I'm torn. I really love Chasing Amy. Chasing Amy's good. What the hell was that one? Red State? Just because it was totally different from everything else that I had seen that he had done. I would say, yeah, Red State is a shining example of like, oh, this guy could do something different if he wanted to. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Mallrats. Mallrats? See, that's, that's I mean, another one that's I, I love Mallrats. It's, it's not his best film. No, it's not even a, particularly a good movie. It's just one that you liked as a kid and you just have like, a, like it's like a warm blanket. Dogma is probably his best film. Yes. Yeah, you think so? Uh, yeah. yeah, Chasing Amy was just the as much as I loved Clerks, Chasing Amy was what made me a Kevin Smith fan. And then, yeah, I, mean, I know Mallrats came before Chasing Amy. If but... I were to like rewatch one of them tomorrow, I would probably just go straight to Clerks. But there's uh, arguments to be had for technically a, a good I, amount of them. Technically, I think his most rewatchable one is actually Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah, I was very excited when that movie came out. <laughs> but yeah. It was it was too commercial for me, because that's when, then he was just making fun of himself. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, and then... I mean, both both of these guys, both Tarantino and Kevin Smith, are two of my favorite directors of all time. Yeah. Like I own every single thing that they've ever done. I mean, I learned what the hell a gimp was. Because <laughs> <of> Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah. Uh... I mean, we we've talked about Kevin Smith's favorite. What? what about Tarantino for you guys? Oh, that's tough. My favorite is I always say Jackie Brown, but there's a lot of uh, great movies. But Jackie that's Brown's kind of my favorite. Too. Let's see. Yeah. Jackie Brown was great, and I didn't even think I was going to like that one. Uh, I just remember seeing the previews at Blockbuster. I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. And yeah, it was awesome. I will uh, say that his last few have I've really enjoyed as well. Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I, I don't. I really don't think Tarantino has made a... Bad. bad film no i don't think so either i think that um, i was pleasantly surprised with how much i enjoyed once upon a time in hollywood i just saw it the one time in theaters and the movie's really long but after it was over it's like i could have just hung out here all afternoon you yeah. could have slammed another hour on this i was just having a good time living in the world because yeah. the movie's really a hangout movie that doesn't really feel like it's going anywhere or building up to anything. Well, you you, you have an idea that it's building up to a thing, but it's not the whole... It's just You just feel like you're hanging out in an era. Yeah, it and made it's me really forget cool. I was watching a Tarantino movie until it turned into a Tarantino movie. I was just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. right. Oh, yeah. Outside of the feet. <laughs> outside of the feet and violence, it just was like, oh, like, just having a good time hanging out with, uh, you know, Leo and Brad. I'm trying to think, though. That's tough, because, yeah, I mean, Pulp Fiction was great. His little part in uh, Four Rooms was great. I think a lot of people would say that their least favorite one, Dust Till Dawn. Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, when that one came out, I didn't expect that one to be as big of a hit as it was going to be. Yeah, that's a Robert Rodriguez movie, though. Was it? Okay. Yeah, he's in it, and I'm sure that he 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 acted in it. Yeah, probably helped write some of it. Yeah, I mean they're they're friends, so I'm sure that there was some collaboration. But Hmm. uh, I would say the one that people probably like talk about being their least favorite is the. his addition to the Grindhouse Death Proof. A lot of people aren't. That's probably. A lot of people don't really favorite. love that movie. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't put it in the top five. I, I, really I, like I think. Bill. I think if, if it's by itself, 
I probably enjoy it more. But you put it next, next to, to the Robert Rodriguez film. The wackiness of Planet Terror. Yeah, Planet Terror is so like just so over the top and fun. Yeah. Like, that, you really, uh, it's really it almost feels like it should have been second. Yeah. Because at least it ramps up. Pull up the list now. The so now I'm forgetting like yeah. I mean, Kill Bill was a huge movie for me. It came out when I was in high school, and it like introduced me and got me to go back and get into uh, like Japanese samurai films, which is like one of my favorite Absolutely. genres. So Kill Bill like is a movie I've seen a bunch of times. I don't really no strong need to go back and rewatch it, but it opened up a whole a whole can of worms for me in the Lone Wolf and Cub films, and then you know going back further to the less exploitation and you know the kurosawa kurosawa films and then of course there's plenty of other directors that i don't know the name of but movies like sword of doom or uh, harakiri but you know all that Edo period japanese stuff uh, i absolutely adore and i may have got to it eventually but kill bill really did uh, make me yeah make me uh, find track those films down so that one probably had the most impact on me See, I was never a fan of the samurai-type movies whatsoever, and Kill Bill is what made me think, all right, I can, I can totally get into it with oh, you know, this type of I got a list for you. It. I would highly suggest, if you, love, if you like Kill Bill, check out the Two Lady Snowblood films and then the Lone Wolf and Cub series, because yep. they're very they're violent and like kind of exploitation-y. They're not like in the way that... Kill Bill is, and honestly, they pull a lot from that. Even the movie Shogun Assassin that the that they show in Kill Bill is a mix of the first, a dubbed mix of the first two Lone Wolf and Cub movies. Hmm. So, like, yeah, it's a huge, huge influence. You'll see, especially Lady Snowblood, because it is a lady with a sword doing revenge. So you know, like, yeah, yeah. There's a lot, a lot of that in um, in Kill Bill. Best. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm sick of Kill Bill. Yeah, I, it's hard. It's hard for anybody to be like, oh well, I just don't. I'm not really into Tarantino. It's like, well, I mean, <laughs> come on, man, you gotta, you gotta like at least one. It's really hard. Like wish, you're just being a jerk. I wish there was a version of Natural Born Killers that was the full Tarantino version that wasn't adapted by Oliver Stone. Yeah, Oliver Stone and a bunch of like college kids. Yeah. Well, let's get to Havoc. <laughs> We open up on shots of Hogan and Flair before the logo hits the screen. Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show, and he's joined by Bobby the Brain Heenan and Mean Gene Okerlund. How long has Bobby had this neck brace on? Since the moment he arrived. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, I like the uh, the intro was very classy with like the four panels. Yeah, I thought it was a really nice intro. It wasn't as hokey as like our last war games ones. But pay attention to that stuff. And see, I really thought it, I thought it was like, man, last year we got that cool little, or maybe it was the year before with Tony Schiavone. Oh yeah, in the mansion. And we don't get anything that goofy and, here. Yeah, yeah. I just meant yeah, like the little like, Chiron. I mean, stuff. nothing even really feels Halloweeny. Huh? Except for we get our like R.I.P. like graveyard, cast, grave, our graveyard. Yeah. But our graveyard. I, mean, I guess seems... there's some like whenever the names come across, it'll the be screen, like a bat. Bad or a pumpkin, yeah, or something like that. But it doesn't it doesn't feel as heavy on the Halloween. This yeah, time. no, not as not as much as the last. Uh, Hopefully, that means they put more focus on the havoc and less on the Halloween. But we'll find out. This is WCW. Bobby starts talking about the history of Detroit, but the only thing that will be remembered is that Hulkamania ends tonight. Please, yeah. 
Tony and Mean Gene then chauffeur the hotline before sending it to T. Graham Brown to sing the national anthem. Well, hey there, random country singer. Random country singer number six. Brown has had three number one country singles in Hell and High Water, Don't Go to Strangers, and Darlene. Oh, Darlene. Is that song about... Mandy's sister. <laughs> I was gonna I was thinking I was gonna make a joke about Roseanne. <laughs> Darlene Wow. Yeah, this guy uh, he sounds like he is a big fan of Travis Tritt and Lee Greenwood, because he's trying to sound like both of them. He is actually out of the business at this point when he sings this national anthem, so I wouldn't be surprised if Travis Tritt's a big fan of his. Could be. Oh really? Like he, he his Previous album was like three years before this, and he never released another album. Huh. That's weird. So he literally is Thank random you, country singles. Yeah, like if he, but if he had three, like, no, you said number one country singles? Yeah. Damn. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you said the three names of the songs. Like, maybe I'll get a chorus. If Shane doesn't know the chorus, then how am I supposed to? Don't go to strangers. Don't go to strangers. Baby, don't you go. No, that's Rick Springfield. Don't talk to strangers. <laughs> Yeah, Don't Go to Strangers is a weird name for a song, but we shouldn't talk about this man anymore. Yeah, somebody has to. Let's uh, consume the show. <laughs> Consumary. <laughs> uh, as I take another sip from my salty, salty exactly. beverage. I'm like halfway done. You've earned it. So we're headed to our first match. We got the Honky Tonk Man Illish. versus Johnny B. Bad for the WCW World. Television championship. Elvis versus Little Richard. Who yeah. you got? Your, who do you got your money on? Good grief! I mean, I'm Johnny old. Cash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at this point, mm. I'm going with T. Graham Brown. <laughs> <laughs> we like Johnny, but it's like Johnny needs a good opponent. Yeah, Johnny on his first pay per view after winning the uh, the TV title. He gets the honky tonk man. Yeah, Johnny probably can't even do uh, his patented catch arm arm wrestling stuff with Honky Tonk. We're about to find out. So it's back and forth to start until Bad hits an atomic drop. He tussles the Honky Tonk man's hair, which sends him out to the floor to regroup. Back in the ring, Honky gains control with a turnbuckle smash, a snapmare, fist drop, but Johnny fires back, only for Honky Tonk man to hit a knee lift to stop the momentum. Five moves of doom. Back elbow, double axe handle, followed by a chin lock by Honky. To wear down his opponent. But Bat escapes, only to be kneed in the gut once more. Uh, Knee to the gut. That's a hell of a signature move. We went from Regal and Austin. To Honky and Johnny. Yeah. Yep. I like Austin uh, Bad. I like Mm -hmm. Steven Bad. Honky Bad. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Two bad honkies. (laughs) Muhammad Ali (laughs) is at ringside. Hey. While Honky Tonk Man chokes Johnny on the ropes, he tosses him to the ropes before only for Bad to come back with a sunset flip for a two count. Snapmare and back to the chin lock from Honky as there's five minutes remaining on a ten minute time limit. <laughs> the Honky's like, you got me for ten. Johnny's mounting the comeback, escaping with elbows, multiple body slams, goes for an elbow drop only for Honky Tonk Man to move and go back to the chin lock. Yay, another chin lock. Knee. I wouldn't even call it a lift. Knee. Just a knee. Chin lock. Knee. Chin lock. 
Four minutes remain when Honky goes for the shake, rattle, and roll, only for Bad to back body drop out of it. Johnny sends Honky to the corner, following in, but Honky Tonk Man avoids and makes the cover with leverage for a near fall. Three minutes remain as Honky tosses Bad to the floor, and he follows him out to send him into the guardrail, before rolling Johnny back into the ring to go to a... Chinlock! Two-minute call as Bad escapes once more to take Honky to the corner for several turnbuckle smashes and mounted punches. Johnny starts throwing jabs but misses the kiss that don't miss, with 30 seconds remaining, Mm. allowing Honky Tonk Man to hit a back suplex. The two men just start choking and rolling around in the ring as time expires. And the official announcement is a time limit draw. Honky Tonk can't even lose to Johnny B. Bad. Fuck Hogan. Yeah. Post-match, Honky celebrates like he won something, attacking from behind and trying for an atomic drop, only for Bad to no-sell and try for the kiss that don't miss again. And missed. But Honky Tonk Man takes a powder and heads to the back. Mm, blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Pretty much. Yep. Garbage. Exasperated already. <laughs> I mean, it's like... When we got to the five minute mark and he's still doing chin locks, I knew we were going to a time limit draw. But the when same, they said it was ten minutes, like these matches are only like I think fifteen minute yeah. time limits. When they said ten, I was like, Jesus Christ. Yep. Now it feels like Halloween Havoc. <laughs> <laughs> this was scary. <laughs> like literally three minutes and he's still putting on a chin lock and I'm just like, Oh my god, like no another move. I mean he, he took a backdrop or two. I mean he, he did take a bump. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Tony then sends us to footage of Hulk and the Nature Boy with narration from Mean Gene. And we see that classic footage of the vast man taking Hogan out at Clash 828. Oh, they pack it, package it up, brother. As mm-hmm. he's taken to the hospital, but returns to face Flair. He walked from the hospital, guys. After the match, the masked man shows up again to help Nature beat down the Hulkster. At Main Event Live... We would find out there is more than one masked man, as Hogan would big boot leg drop one of them, only for a second to run in to chop block Hulk. I'm telling you, these uh, these new masked men, it takes two of them to be the size of the first one. Because, <laughs> yeah, they, they're just all over the place. Like you, put a mask on. It's like, I'm part of catering. It's like, we don't have catering. This is WCW. <laughs> <laughs> Flair would use this distraction to work over the leg of Hulk. Then in Chicago, we see the Nature Boy and Mr. T coming out of Michael Jordan's restaurant together. Oh my god. I thought Mr. T was Hulk's friend. I mean, crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, who would you rather party with? I'd like to style and profile. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, come on. So we head to our second match. Pretty wonderful. Of Pretty Paul Roman, Mr. <sighs> Wonderful Paul Orndorff. The Pauls. Versus Stars and Stripes. Uh, wasn't, didn't we see us do this? Yes, we yeah. did. Okay, okay, this. okay, cool. And that's of Marcus Alexander Bagwell and the Patriot for the WCW World Tag Team Championships. Pretty Wonderful just lost the belts last week on our show, a month ago. No, they didn't the lose them on the last oh. show. They, they lost them a week oh. after that show. Oh. On Main Event Live. Oh, my yes. gosh. Because so that's yes. where you do title changes. Yes. That's exactly where you do you got to keep changes. the crowd honest. 
if you've got a live main event, that's what you should do, just to reel those people in for all of your TV mm. tapings that follow. So, yes, Stars and Stripes is our champion at this point. Patriot Mr. Wonderful start us off with no one gaining an advantage as Heenan has figured out who the Patriot is. It's Al Gordas. Oh my gosh. He, didn't you know that he invented the internet? I did. He also invented the Green Initiative. Recycling or something. Yeah, he invented recycling. <laughs> Everybody jumps in the ring to brawl with Bagwell body slamming Roma before clotheslining him to the outside while Patriot is tossed to the outside by Orndorff. Back into the ring, Patriot hits a single sledge on Mr. Wonderful. Then Orndorff is ping pong punched between the two men. Roma comes in only to have his arm wrenched on for a bit, but he punches out of trouble and comes off the top rope with a falling fist to Marcus. They start running the ropes with Bagwell coming back with a crossbody and back to working the arm. I love the just a I'm a Paul Roma fan, guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to say. I mean, he's much better and pretty wonderful than he ever was as a horseman. Oh, for sure. Very he's true. he's coming out of his uh, cage and he's healing just fine. Stars and Stripes with a double-team hip toss. Patriot with a shot to the gut, followed by Marcus coming in off the top with a sunset flip for a two-count. Orndorff is able to tag in, only to run right into a drop-toe hold and his arm being worked on. Body slam multiple times and clotheslined to send Mr. Wonderful out to the floor to regroup. P.O. Stellan, like, like the professional that he is. Back in the ring, Orndorff finally gets the upper hand with a headlock takedown, allowing Pretty Wonderful to take control of the match, working Bagwell over. Nevertheless, Marcus breaks away as Pretty Paul taunts to be able to make a tag, allowing the Patriot to hit a running clothesline into the corner for a near fall. Back to work on the arm, and Bagwell is brought in to continue the punishment, only to be tossed to the wrong corner, allowing Pretty Wonderful to work him over some more including a shaky knee elbow drop from Mr. Wonderful and body slams and drop kicks from Roma. You know what's so great about the shaky knee elbow drop? That. That it looks so weird coming from Paul Orndorff <laughs> that it's always hilarious and it works more than it should. It's just like it's it's like um, your dad trying to be a hip kind of thing, <laughs> but it's it's funny because he's like actually actually doing it. It's good stuff. And he does it wonderfully. He does it wonderfully. He does everything wonderfully. Marcus is tossed to the corner only to leap up on the ropes and back off with a crossbody onto Pretty Paul for a two count. He crawls to make a tag, but Roma stops him and takes him back to the opposing corner. Orndorff with a drop kick, elbow to the gut, and he whips Bagwell into Pretty Paul's knee and then levels him with a clothesline. Mr. Wonderful goes for a vertical suplex, which is blocked and reversed. And then Marcus makes a cover for a near fall. He then goes for a backslide, but Roma breaks it up, followed by Orndorff sending Marcus to the corner, charging in where Bagwell catches Mr. Wonderful with a boot before jumping on his back with a sleeper, only for Roma to run in to break it up. Patriot then jumps in the ring and a Pier 6 breaks out. Pier 6. With stars and stripes laying out both members of Pretty Wonderful with clotheslines. The ref is trying to get Patriot back in this corner while Marcus hits a fisherman's suplex on Orndorff. So Pretty Paul then flies off the top rope with an elbow drop to break up the bridge, allowing Mr. Wonderful to roll on top for the pin and, and the win. win. And new! Way to fuck it up there, Patriot. Yeah, I know. I'm like, all right, cool. 
pretty wonderful. Love, loving, loving them having the belts. So does that mean we get like who's next? Who? What other tag teams is there? It's like maybe the Nasty Boys next, but I don't want them to lose to the Nasty Boys. The Nasty Boys are faces. At the moment, I want these guys to hold on to these things. Mm. We need competition. Remember the great tag teams we had just a couple years ago? Yeah. Also, like, did Too Cold, because Too Cold and Bagwell were were getting pretty over as a tag team. Literally, Bagwell, two years in a row, won it on a TV taping with a different partner before Halloween Havoc, and then went to Halloween Havoc and lost it right back. Yep. And, like, Too Cold, did he, like... Foreshadow. Uh, when did they go to Korea? <laughs> uh, it's not until 96. Okay. Okay, I was I just think. curious, because I was like, maybe he got fired after that for being a dickhead to the LOD. But, you know, I was, just think, I was just thinking as I was watching this, I was like, Too Cold, like, why did he leave? I mean, granted, that dark side of the ring made him come off like a real fucking prick, so maybe he was a fucking prick in 94, too. Could be, I mean... But wrestling's full of Usually pricks. Usually you're more of a prick in your younger days than in your older. So. Yeah, and he came off like an asshole <laughs> as an old man, so or as a, as a uh, you know, older, middle-aged man. We go to the locker room. Mean Jean's there with Ric Flair and Sensua Sherry. Sherry dancing like the queen that she is. And the Nature Boy says, We're already planning the greatest celebration in the history of the sport. As Hogan will have to retire after tonight because of this limousine riding, kiss-stealing... Wheeling, dealing, jet Jets. flying, son of a gun. The greatest wrestler of all time. Tony then sends us to a video package where we see Kevin Sullivan yelling at his brother Dave for his Hulk fandom with the entire Hogan crew hanging about. Dave has something for Kevin, knocking him down with the right hand. We then see footage of the masked men beating on Hogan when Kevin comes out to work over Dave. No. So David just basically joined the Hogan crew and he's team, he's, teaming up with him in certain at certain yeah. times. Is is even the, being the bottom rung of the like Hogan crew? Like, is it that is it are the benefits that good enough to even be the bottom? I mean, Hacksaw's a champion right now. No shit. Ask Horace in a few years. Mike Jones. Where are you, where, where are you? <laughs> uh, the I do the. One of the nice Halloween touches here is they have like the the Tron mm-hmm. of like the stacked TVs or whatever uh, is encased in like a really neat little mausoleum thing. You know, it's think really it's really on. cool looking. It's you know just it looks like a mausoleum. It's neat. Hmm. So they've got they've got some um, money to throw around, but we're not getting as spooktacular as uh, you know Abby in an electric chair or anything. No. Or uh, the black scorp black scorpion. And- Creepy wife. Oh yeah, God, Shivani. That Shivani video. So it was great. So we then go to our third match of Kevin Sullivan versus Dave Sullivan. Brother versus brother, brother. brother. Uh, and, and what this match will most be remembered for. Oh yeah, get it. Get that close to the mic. That was Brutus's music at the start. I wanna be a Hulkamaniac. Where'd the kids come in? You can cut it after that. Oh, okay. Ah, but that's Brutus's music at the start. 
They took Bruce Beefcake's old music and turned it into that fucking song, really? I feel like the one that they, he came out to was like... It was, was, like kid, a, it was kid, kid singing. That was yeah, just the yeah. version I could find. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. It's not important. Because it's bad. And good bad. It gets stuck in your head. Yeah, yeah. good, good, not bad. Or bad, bad, yeah. Uh, bad, anyway. bad, not good. Bad, bad. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Sullivan, as he walks through the ring, he just keeps saying, uh, Hey! Hey! Yeah. Hey! And I'm like, what is... That's his thing. That's how you sound tough. Like Cactus Jack used to do. When you're when you're five foot two, do his little. Yeah, but that's better than hey. It just sounds like he's it sounds like he's yelling at his children. It's like hey, get back over here. When you're five foot two, you gotta don't climb the swings. To be menacing. Get off my lawn. I guess that's why he did the whole like you know fake Satan stuff. Oh, he brings it back. Don't worry. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I know. I love the photos of him on a beach with woman and like uh, holding a large sword. That shit rules. Because it's so funny to see this bowling ball next to this pretty lady. And they're just... And it, like, Kevin Sullivan does not look like a like a metalhead or like a Satanist. He just looks... I mean, he might look like a Satanist because people are just stupid and dumpy. But, like, I don't know. It's the wrong gimmick for we his body We all agree type. that he has to have a baby's arm to have gotten Nancy, right? I've... Either that or he just yeah. has some really It's like a baby arm clutching an apple. That's probably like a dice clay Slide. joke or something. I don't know. I like to think it's either that or it was one of those situations where maybe he's like, a Maybe he's a beautiful man on the inside. He had really good drugs. Oh, uh, I don't want to slander the name of... I mean, have people do drugs. Whatever. Yeah. It doesn't make you a bad person. No, but... So the match gets going with Kevin attacking from behind, only for Dave to hit a back elbow to knock Kevin to the floor. Dave follows out, but Kevin gets right back in the ring to gain control of the match with stomps and chops. Kevin hits a short arm clothesline, drop kick, and goes for a turnbuckle smash. And Kevin looks small as hell next to his brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not really brothers. I know, but like he just looks so tiny. Or if they are, I don't believe. Like he looks, he looks like small with the brain. with like next to Cactus, and Cactus isn't like you know <laughs> known for being a statuesque man. Dave blocks and reverses that turnbuckle smash to put Kevin down. Dave continues with clotheslines, back body drop, and charges into a corner, only for Kevin to yank him through the ropes to the floor. Kevin follows out to run Dave into the ring post to put his head back into the ring, where Kevin continues the punishment with a body guillotine. This almost doesn't deserve a posted. Turnbuckle smash, snapmare, stomps in the face. Before Kevin rolls outside to grab a Hulk bandana, which he puts down Dave's throat. Multiple double stomps. Kevin then heads to the top, but Dave press slams him off, using the bandana to choke Kevin, before delivering a clothesline and a big boot. You know what my favorite thing in this match is? Is that Dave Sullivan does the hand by the ear thing? Backwards. Backwards. Because <laughs> he's doing, he's like imitating Hogan. And I think that that was like the only charming thing the man has ever done uh, <laughs> on screen. But uh, it is kind of funny. And I, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, how is Hogan cool with this? Is he thinking that this is going to get kids back into him? It's like, every, kids are the only people that fucking want to deal with you, Hulk Hogan. Is this where They're the only ones that are cheering. Got the inspiration for Eugene. Possibly. <laughs> Kevin then acts like he's going to put the bandana on. But it's just to sucker Dave in. Allowing Kevin to punch him right in the jaw. Yeah, he did a of mice and men on him. Yeah, don't ask Dave. <laughs> they head out to the floor where they're brawling away, all while the ref is making a count. And Kevin sends Dave into the ring post, but he slips into the ring as the ref hits 10. 
So Dave Sullivan is the winner by Countout. Mm. Oh, cool. Yep. Our thoughts exactly. I'm like, third match, and I was like, well, that stinks. No Regal, no Austin, no Boat. Still no Rude. You, th- also, this is the place where you'd put Arn. I mean, obviously, Arn's still in WCW, but you'd, you'd get a, an early Arn singles match. Throwing at the beginning of the card, that's what Arn's good for. Yeah. But you know what else <sighs> Arn is good for? Picking up the pieces. Mm. So, save us. So the brain starts going off on Hogan and discussing the last match before Tony sends us to some video footage. And we see Dustin Rhodes is looking for a partner on a WCW Saturday night, and he asks Arn Anderson to be that man. Double A would answer on Clash 27, but would end up turning on the natural at Bash at the Beach by DDTing him, before joining the stable and trying to break his arm. The Enforcer would let everyone know why he did what he did backstage. And that leads us right into our fourth match. The Enforcer, Arn Anderson, with Colonel Robert Parker, and Ming, versus The Natural. Natural! Dustin Rhodes. You like how I was like, man, this show stinks. Bring me some Arn. Where's Arn? It's like, oh, <laughs> I'm just, I was trying to, you know, get everybody excited. Because they need something to get excited about. And if you can't get excited about Dustin Rhodes and Arn Anderson, what are you even doing here? Clean up aisle four. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> yeah, clean, clean, clean up on, on my match four. So we get a feeling out process to start the match. Even Arn's complaining about hair pulling. Which I thought was a great little... It's very bit. funny. He does it a couple of times. Until Rhodes hits an atomic drop and a clothesline from behind. Dustin heads up top, only for Anderson to take his feet out from under him, causing the natural to crotch himself. Double A heads up for a superplex, but a headbutt knocks the enforcer back down to the mat, followed by a flying lariat for a two-count. Rhodes starts to load up the flip-flop fly, but Arn blocks and levels Dustin. Heads up to the second rope, coming off, but the natural gets a boot up, which Anderson sees coming, grabbing the boot and delivering an elbow drop. I love that moment. It's so good. Tony brings up Rhodes' Arn history and why he was a ridiculous choice for partners as the two men head to the floor, where Double A punches the ring post after Dustin moves. Posted. Fist, I love a fist post because they typically always look good and for some reason more believable. Because if you punch a giant metal pole, it's going to fucking hurt. Yep. Plus it was closed fist, which you're not supposed to do. So it's also just... You know, smart stuff. Back in the ring, the natural starts working the arm, hits an atomic drop, and then comes off the ropes with a crossbody that the enforcer ducks, sending Rhodes flying out to the floor and down the aisle. Boy, did he fly. That was like dust. Yeah, little dust got wings. Uh, It was a nasty landing, and I'm glad. I missed the catwalk. It's been gone for a couple of shows. I missed the, the ramp that goes all the way up to it. Especially in moments like this, where it would have looked really good and been less dangerous for Dustin, because if he he could have caught his knee on that on those stairs and just had you know brace up uh, Austin style the rest of his career. Armed with several forearms across the chest, once Dustin makes it to the apron, follows with a shot to the gut back in the ring for a two count, and begins working a knuckle lock, going for a pump splash, only for Rhodes to apply a body scissors but Double A counters with a catapult under the bottom rope. They take turns raking each other's eyes across the top rope and then begin to punch away until they both hit clotheslines 
for a double KO. Oh, no. Back to the feet, the natural with a Kusa kick. Hits a leaping lariat for a near fall. Tosses Anderson to the ropes, but telegraphs a back body drop, allowing the enforcer to go for a DDT, only for Rhodes to hold onto the top rope to block. Dustin with an elbow drop, and hot shots Arn across the top rope. Starts knee-dropping the arm, trying to break it, but Anderson avoids in time. Double A goes for a pile driver, only for the natural to counter with a back body drop, which the enforcer counters into a sunset flip, holding the ropes for leverage, but the ref sees it and stops the count. Ah, good ref, good ref. With Arn distracted, Rhodes rolls him up for the pin and the win. Post-match, Double A hits a clothesline and a DDT to lay out Dustin. Yep. A little bit of team beat down, right? Yeah, because they got Ming and Colonel Parker in there, so they they get their shit in. I mean, this was uh, good shit. This is why we sing the praises of WCW at times. Yep. Because this is a uh, no-nonsense, well-worked, intelligently booked pro wrestling match. It was it was. Pro, pro wrestling with a capital W. Oh, and I think the best part about it was, and don't hate me for saying this, but it was just the two of them. There was no Terry Funk. There was no Bunkhouse. Agreed. There was no Nasties. Absolutely. Yeah. These guys uh, have more talent than any of them. I, I mean, know, granted, I Funk is, <clears throat> Funk's older. I don't want to say that. Funk is Terry fucking Funk. He's fucking great. But Terry Funk isn't great every time without being you're happy to see him. Yeah. He's not quite dusty mode at this point in his career, but he's not Anderson or or Dustin. No. Like it this it's just not it's not in the cards. Yeah. His back is you know, probably needed to have been fused for a decade at this he point. He should be a special attraction, not a an every show feature. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But yeah, and it was great to see a good singles match. Uh, I feel like we needed one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From, you know, the last show and the beginning of this show. We then go to the locker room and Mean Jeans there with Hulk Hogan, Jimmy Hart, and Brother Brutai. Oh, brother. Hogan says that Hulkamania was running wild in Detroit when we got into town last night. And just like the last time I was here, when I slammed the big giant. God bless his soul. People are gonna go crazy. Okerlund then asks about Mr. T. And Hulk just says, we stared into each other's eyes, lovingly, I'm sure. Probably. He says Mr. T ate his vitamins. <laughs> I could tell he was on the level, and he's going to so call naughty. it right <laughs> down the middle. <laughs> yeah, Mr. I, yeah, it's like it's so funny to say, I know, I know Mr. T's been eating his fucking vitamins. And saying his saying prayers. Saying his prayers. Yeah. Uh, and I could not stop watching and laughing at old Brudai and... Jimmy, or sorry, Big Brother, as they kept calling him. I don't know why they kept referring to him as Big Brother, because he's younger, isn't he? And shorter. Didn't he just call everyone Big Brother? <laughs> no, like, even me and Gene called him Big Brother, oh. called, in, in reference to Brutus, or Brutai. Maybe sorry. they're just trying to, trying to like, slowly get you to stop calling him Brutus or Brutai. Yeah. But yeah, the two of them, Brutai and Jimmy, were standing back there, and you could watch them mouthing everybody's words as... Oh, really? Talking. Yep. That's funny. What's, that makes it extra funny when Hogan says, these two guys, they know every, they know each and everything I'm going to do. And they do. And they do. And it's on camera, uh-huh. Sean. Yeah. I think yeah. we all know what you're doing. 
Shivani then sends us to some video footage, and Heenan gives it a big thumbs down. Yeah, I, Hogan, I mean, Heenan says that Hogan is scared. He had a great run, but it's over. And, you know, we can all, we can all dream. We see Steve Austin told that he has to defend the U.S. title right after he was given the belt back. And Stunning Steve says, uh-uh. But his opponent, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, makes his way to the ring and hits the three-point stance to win the title. So we're headed to our fifth match. Stunning Steve Austin versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. Austin attacks from behind as Hacksaw is still waving his flag, only for Duggan to come back with multiple clotheslines and a body slam. Hacksaw applies a sleeper and then goes for a back suplex, only for Stunning Steve to flip over and start stomping away on the knee. Get the 2x4, Steve. Get the 2x4. Break his goddamn knee. Austin keeps working that knee, using a spinning toe hold, when Duggan kicks him off into the corner, before pulling him over by the trunks for a two-count. Hacksaw's eyes are raked, allowing Stunning Steve to go back to the leg, but Duggan fires back with an atomic drop that sends Austin to the outside. Back at the ring, Stunning Steve offers a handshake, but Hacksaw's wise to it. So Austin gets back to his feet to hit a pair of second rope double axe handles. He goes for a third one, only for Duggan to catch him with a clothesline. I love it. You gotta you gotta pick a different corner each time, right? For the, for all the crowd. Right and left get stunning Steve backed into a corner where a mule kicks hacksaw in his one by ones. The ref threatens <laughs> to DQ Austin, but doesn't. You so got me. Steve gets to stomping a mud hole before the ref breaks it up by pulling Austin by his hair out into the corner. Fucking one by ones. Stunning Steve unloads on Duggan, choking him across the middle rope and goes to the second rope, coming off with an elbow drop for a near fall. Austin heads to the top this time, coming off with a splash, but Hacksaw moves in time. Hits a turnbuckle smash, multiple headbutts, a back body drop, clothesline and charges in with the three-point stance. No! Only for Stunning Steve to back body drop Duggan over the ropes to the floor for the disqualification. Bullshit. I'll take it. As long as Steve does not get another fucking three-point stance, I don't care. I'm happy. Post-match, Austin continues to beat Hacksaw around ringside before rolling back in, charging into the corner, but he runs into Duggan's two-by-four. The, the real thing this time. Yeah, yeah. It's better than running into his one-by-ones, which was your euphemism for his testicles. Yes. Which is very funny. We go to the stage and Mean Gene's hyping up the hotline before bringing out the man called Sting in a tuxedo. I love Sting. The tuxedo with, like, 90s, like, free-floating, free-floating Oakleys. The ones that, like, have the little, like, almost, like, cat-eye hook on the bottom. What an ugly pair of glasses that never look good. <laughs> He's here to get a front row seat to see who will be leading wrestling into the 90s. Wait, what are we talking? This was what we said in into the 90s. This is what we said about Sting, like not we, but what WCW was saying about Sting when he did a trilogy with Flair, like at the end of 89, after Flair hadn't yeah. booked an incredible year for himself, leading into the 90s. Yes, and Sting has not done shit except for get hurt and not get a chance to hold the belt. I can't believe how they've, like, Sting really, like, granted, the man's had a long, fruitful career where he got paid, and half of it he didn't have to do anything, but 
the ma- like they really shit the bed on making Singh a champion every time, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Big orange monster. And a stinger ends up taking a seat next to Muhammad Ali. Tony then sends us to some footage, and we see at Bash the Beach, Harley hands Vader a nightstick, but the guardian angel beats him down before he can use it, dropping it in the process as well. Angel then picks it up when the ref sees it to call for the disqualification. At Fall Brawl in the triangle match, Guardian Angel would send Vader to the ropes only to run into the ref. Angel would hit the boss man slam, make the cover, when Race would come into the ring to drop a diving headbutt onto him, and Vader would follow with a Vader bomb for the win. On an episode of WCW Saturday Night, Guardian Angel sends Harley to the corner for a flare flip, but Vader attacks from behind, and the ref calls for a disqualification. Race and Vader continue to beat down Angel with elbow drops, knee drops, a Vader bomb, and a Vader salt. On another episode of Saturday Night, Sting and Vader would be facing each other when Guardian Angel would come to the ring and handcuff Harley to the ropes, grabbing a chair, but the officials would stop him from ever using it. They're really going all in on this Guardian Angel bullshit. Sorry, bullshot. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bullshot update. (laughs) I'm over halfway into it, and my throat is sore because of the salt. Just drying it out. It's like I've smoked dirt weed or something. I feel like I drink more with each match. So (laughs) I might be stealing Matt's drink here. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know... The most we can hope for here is that Vader will take his concrete fists across Ray Trainer's face. And we can pretty much guarantee that'll happen at least once. Yep. So we go to our sixth match. The Guardian Angel with members of the Guardian Angels. <laughs> the Detroit Angels. <laughs> versus Vader with Harley Race. And we see Vader taunting in front of Sting and Ali while Harley makes his way into the ring. Where Angel hits a clothesline and kicks race to the floor. I love that Vader had the stones to like fucking play to Ollie, who's just kind of sitting there, like probably feeling like shit. Vader rules. We all know this. The bell rings, and Vader continues to taunt the crowd when they lock up, and Guardian Angel just slaps Vader multiple times to piss him off. Really? Come on, man. You're gonna bitch slap Vader? Vader starts delivering stiff shots in the corner. Hits a series of short arm clotheslines that puts them out on the floor. Angel reverses an Irish whip to send Vader into a guardrail, followed by a clothesline. Guardian Angel then starts going after Harley again, taking him into the ring to hit a body slam. Vader makes his way back into the ring, only to be body slammed right on top of Race. Fuck, dude. Ray, come on. We can't be throwing Vader on top of Harley Race. This is unacceptable. I, I cringed at this moment. Yep. I hate seeing Harley Race take bumps. He continues the punishment with a leg drop to the gut, headbutts, and an avalanche splash in the corner. Vader's fighting back and goes for a suplex, which is blocked and reversed by Angel. Hits a big boot, but again Vader fires up with right jabs to knock Guardian Angel down. The the shitty looking big boot. It's hard to lift your legs in cargo pants. (laughs) Vader heads up to the second rope. But Angel is back up to catch him and power slam him down to the mat before heading to the top for a diving headbutt to get a two count. 
I like Sting's got his glasses on because he doesn't want to be visibly high on cocaine next to Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Insiguri. Double throat thrust. Clothesline that sends Vader to the floor. That's the Guardian Angel moveset. Guardian Angel drags him back in to continue with headbutts and tries for a boss man slam, only to be countered by a clothesline from Vader. They make it back to their feet, where Vader hits a body slam and hits a Vader bomb for a near fall. He goes for a second one, only for Angel to get his knees up. Guardian Angel then hits a running splash and makes the cover for the pin, and no, Vader kicks out. A spine buster for two. A boss man slam. He looks to go for the cover, but Harley distracts him, so he starts stalking after race, finally delivering a vertical suplex into the ring, only for Vader to hit a running splash as they land. It's really good. the pin and the win. Jeebus. Well, I mean... The finish was really, really good. The finish was good. The finish was incredible. I think that, like... What are you going to get out of Ray Trainer? You need somebody that smaller to work with Vader. Like, that's that's what we need. I and, mean, I feel like Vader's gotten the best out of oh, the Guardian Angel in any of his matches. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Like they, this this was not bad, and we got a finish, and not only a finish, we got an incredible finishing sequence. Yes. Like it was fucking so good. Now let it be done. We don't need to see these. We don't. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. We don't need a bunkhouse. We don't need a Vader and Guardian Angel to go on like bunkhouse and Dustin. At least Dustin can bring things like Arn into the mix, Dusty into the mix. The nasties are over. Like there seems to be. There's pretty good excuses to keep that to keep that going. Yeah. This is uh, the fruit has fallen off the tree and it fell uh, into in the form of Vader, the ripest peach. We go to Mean Gene on the stage, and he's still shilling for that hotline, letting us know that Jimmy Hart is on there right now. Ooh. He then introduces Tommy, the hitman Hearns. Tommy? Tom? Thomas? Tom? Thomas? Tommy? Thomas they said, like, every yeah, they said variation Tom, of Tom, the name Tom. as they were announcing him. And Oakland <laughs> compares Flair and Hogan to Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah, I, wasn't, I uh, think boxing is cool, but hasn't been cool as I've been like an adult uh, but I was like I don't know Thomas Hearns I didn't know the name and I looked up this Wikipedia because I was like he's a boxer that sounds interesting how did he do and uh, it turns out he's a pretty good boxer he was a pretty good boxer <laughs> I remember the name Thomas says the only thing they can be thinking about is win 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 He's not the greatest on the mic. He's a boxer. MMA is a different story. MMA is wrestling. Almost. Those guys are funny. We go to Tony and the Brain, and they're talking Ming before sending it to footage, where we see Dusty Rhodes getting the Nasty Boys to join them for war games. Backstage after the event, the stud stable would attack the Nasty Boys in the locker room. And the boys would retaliate during an episode of WCW Saturday Night, laying out Bunkhouse Buck and Terry Funk. The Bunkhouse Funk? That'd be a good name for their tag team. What's the stud stable? I know. But, you know, the stud stable is a stable. So we got our seventh match. The stud stable of Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck with Colonel Parker and Ming. Ming seems so useless here. 
Yeah, he does seem a little useless. Yeah, I'm not. I don't. I felt bad interrupting, but what have we done with Ming? Nothing. He looks menacing. He does. He looks great. So pretty much all he does. Yeah, he looks awesome. I can't take that away from him. Versus the Nasty Boys of Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags. And we see the Nasties bring a jack-o'-lantern and some masks with them to the ring. Yeah, it's, it's uh, 1994. Beavis and Butthead is hot. They got Beavis and Butthead masks. Is that what masks they were? I think they had Beavis and Butthead masks. I thought they were President's masks, but I wasn't really paying that close I remember hearing them say something about Beavis and Butthead. Okay, but yeah, they were Beavis and Butthead masks. They, they throw them to the crowd. Heenan does a horrible Beavis and Butthead impression at one point. Oh, does he? I didn't, yes. I didn't remember that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. He, he does. He tries to do the laugh, and it's it's not oh, good. Man. In my YouTube queue the other day, a video came up that was five hours of Beavis and Butthead, just the music videos, and I made sure to bookmark that shit because uh, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a really good time next time I you know mop the living room. The boys attack as soon as they get into the ring, running the stable into each other to send them to the floor. Everyone settles down with Funk and Knob starting the match up. With Brian laying it in with right hands, it sends Terry out to the floor, where Funk grabs a chair and threatens to throw it into the ring. That's his gimmick now. Back in the ring, Sags stink faces Funk, then rubs his head in Knob's armpit. That's a pit stop. Nasty! Nasty! Before everybody just clubbers each other, until the stud stable regroups out on the floor. Terry grabs another chair and begins to smack himself (laughs) on the head several times. Terry... This is like early onset dementia, man. Man. He acts like he's going to go after some people in the crowd, but finally makes his way back into the ring. Do you, like, you should have got a key bump from Sting. Not hit yourself in the head. Maybe he did, but he didn't get one on both sides. So he's a little uneven. <laughs> he didn't go stereo. Shake things around. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Funk is chopped over the top rope with Jerry following after, but Buck is right there with a bull rope to start choking him. Back into the ring, Sags ducks a double clothesline before delivering double face plants. Brian is tagged in to keep up the attack, tossing Bunkhouse Buck to the floor, hitting a clothesline on Terry, and goes for another but Buck grabs his boot from the outside to trip him up. Funk is holding knobs, while Bunkhouse Buck puts on a pair of taped knucks with the ref looking on. So Nick Patrick begins to admonish him. Ming then jumps on the apron to swing at Brian, but he ducks, so Terry takes the blow, followed by Jerry coming in with the pumpkin, setting it in the middle of the ring to hit a pile driver through it, allowing knobs to make the cover for the pin. And the win. The pile driver was just Jerry Sag's uh, ass hitting a pumpkin. Yeah, uh, it looked good, but on the replay, it looked bad. Maybe not. All maybe they not did the replay. Was show the camera right yeah. up there showing his ass hit it instead. You remember that uh, this match stunk? Uh, but remember when uh, not too long ago, in the not so distant past, WCW was really spending some money on some fun packages that were like fun. They were kind of bad, but they were fun, and they legitimately did have you excited because it was fun. And I guess they gave all that money they spent on those packages to Hulk Hogan and Brutus and Hacksaw because and I would and Honky Tonk Man. Yeah, I would I would kill for a um, you know the the little person blow up the boat beach bullshit over over. Or a rat, because that shit was fun. Yep. I'm not having a whole lot of fun. It's like they take this company that was working, 
And then they just one day say, you know what? Fuck everybody that's under 40. We're, we're just going to focus on 40 and over now. And, <sighs> Which yeah. Was, yeah, I guess. It's kind of been sad since then. I mean, since the, uh, the orange cloud of doom just hovered above and landed in WCW, it's all just kind of been blah. Yeah, there's a um, uh, famous, or not, I don't know if it's famous, but there's a, I believe a, That's the one. I believe there was a quote from uh, Jim Cornette that he told somebody in WCW back in the day when they were trying to get like, maybe it was JCP, they were trying to get Sid, Sid back or whatever, and he was like, it's like, oh, well, Sid wants like blah, 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 and it's like, well, what what are you going to do with that? You're going to spend that money, you're going to, it's, you'll get a quick pop and it's gone. It's like, why would you do that when you could spend money on people like Arn Anderson, who's going to draw you more money over a longer period of time than is spending your money to... Is he? Is he? Maybe. I mean, good matches. we love Arn Anderson as a wrestler. We also love wrestling, and so does Jim Cornette. So maybe that's why I but Hulk was Hogan like, is the attraction, and that's what brings in money. But he even gets booze, though. But at the same time, he gets when they go to the right place, they're, they're selling out 16,000 people. Hogan has been in attendance to... Two pay-per-views, and they've done their two biggest yeah. gate sales. I know. So I know. I mean, Hogan's different than Sid, I, though. Oh, definitely yeah, for sure. Like I'm Hogan is totally different than Sid. Oh, Sid. But yeah, the wrestler of the '90s, or to take you into the '90s, or whatever. But this would be also the last time we would see Terry Funk in a WCW ring for about five years. Hmm. We have probably a decent idea where he's going to go. He'll show up many other places. Oh, yeah. We are not done with Terry Funk. Here and there. Shivani then lets us know that proceeds from ticket sales tonight went to the Muhammad Ali Foundation. And Tony sends it to Mean Gene in the ring where he's joined by the president of WCW, Bill Shaw, to present a check from Turner Broadcasting and WCW, handing it to Muhammad Ali. Yeah, that's cool. That's neat. Eric Bischoff, Senior Vice President of WCW, then presents a plaque to Ali before we go back to Tony and the Brain, where they make predictions for our main event. Bobby Heenan says he's the 11-time champion. Like, Ali is not an 11-time champion. Hearns is not 11-time. Not even the Yankees are 11-time Which is incorrect. Champions. Even at this point, were they 11-time? They were like a 20-time champion yeah, okay. at this I don't point. Know. I mean, you know, hmm. but, but that adds to Bobby's charm. Yeah. He's not always right. He's just always Bobby. Hogan's not an 11-time champion. I think he's only at like seven at this point. Hogan? Yeah. Seven or five or something. But something you know, like that. He has it and then goes and fucking takes a nap and comes back. So we head to our eighth match. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair with Sensuous Sherry versus Hulk Hogan with Jimmy Hart for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship in a steel cage retirement match. With Mr. T as the special guest referee. Michael Buffer makes the introductions and says those famous words. So let's get ready to... Fumble! Be disappointed. Yeah, sounds more like it. Brother Brutai also comes down the aisle with the Hulkster. But Hogan whispers something to him and he heads to the back. Whatever could it be? The cage. There's going to be a cage. You don't really need to be here. You're just going to get in the way of, like, the fans. The cage lowers as Pyro goes off. And this is a WCW cage, so it's made of chain link, 
with no top. But the only way to win is pinfall or submission. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out, because I've got some questions. Also, Hogan, it says Hulk Hogan's name on one of the tombstones. And sometimes I'm just like, if only that could have been real. <laughs> and I don't want to wish death on somebody, but you know, if he actually retired. Hulk, right away with eye gouges and right hands, tries to send the Nature Boy into the cage, but is blocked. So Hogan hits a back body drop and several clotheslines before going with mounted punches and kicks. Mr. T shoves Hulk out of the corner, allowing Nate to start chopping away and try to send Hogan into the cage, but is blocked and Flair meets Chainlink instead multiple times. Hogan, don't, Hogan doesn't bump for no cage. Nope. The Nature Boy comes back at, by going after the knee, sending Hulk into the cage and delivering a rolling knee drop. Well, I guess he does sometimes. Goes for an Irish whip, only for Hulk to reverse and charge in with a clothesline. Hogan runs Nate into the cage, lawn darts him into the cage, before beginning to choke Flair with his t-shirt until Mr. T can wrestle it away. Hell yes, Mr. T. Which allows the Nature Boy to climb to the top rope to hit a double axe handle. Obviously, Nature Boy should be busted open already. Yeah, obviously Mr. T is working for Ric Flair now. He's calling it right down the middle, guys. <sighs> He's, he is. He's like, hey, man, I know we're in a cage. There's no DQ, but I want to fair fight. Vertical suplex for a two count, and Nate begins delivering chops. Only for Hulk to no-sell and begin to fire back. So Flair looks to escape over the top. But Hogan catches up with him and slams his head on the rim before grinding his face and raking the back to cause the nature boy to fall to the mat. You know it would be really funny if uh, Hogan went to do a back rake and Mr. T just like put his hands in between it. Like he just goes <laughs> like a cat and then Mr. T just like puts his hands in. It's like, no, no back rakes. I would love to see that. Hulk starts biting Nature's forehead to show how bad he wants it, but then charges into a big boot from Flair. The nature boy looks for a figure four, but Hogan cradles him up for a near fall. This, around this time, Bobby Heenan says that that fucking Ric Flair is the Rolls Royce of wrestling, and he's Bobby Heenan's the best, and Ric Flair's the best, and I legitimately like got choked up when he said that because it's like I know he meant it, and I know that I felt it, and I was like, I shouldn't be getting choked up about anything that's happening here, but what a beautiful, nice thing, and appropriate thing to say, and you know Bobby means it. Nate with the chops again, but Hulk is just staring him down, shaking his head and sends Flair flying with a back body drop and tossing him into the cage. Cheese greater time, followed by a back suplex for a two count by Hogan. Starts using closed fists, so Mr. T intervenes, which allows the nature boy to start climbing the cage again. But he's held up by his trunks, and Nate has his head slammed several times into the cage. That's the thing. Why are they why are they climbing the cage? I asked this back in the day whenever mm -hmm. this and I was like, why is he trying to escape if that's not a way to win? And we were just like, well, it's because he's a chicken shit hill. And that's the best excuse for sure. So if he gets out, he, do they just open the door and have him come back in? Or is he just trying to count out? Is he just trying to take a powder for a minute or what? I just couldn't figure it out because, like, I get the chicken shit part of it, but like. See? That's not what a cage match is. I complained about it ad nauseum. Uh, it's to keep people out. Yeah, but I kept. Yeah, but I it just seemed unnecessary, and it just and it sucked to see Rick do it. 
But he because does it all the time. He used to do it all the time. I guess, like in that, I guess he did. Maybe it was more amplified because I know because Hogan's here, and I'm just being a fucking wiener. Hulk delivers chops on the top rope to knock Flair down to the map, but then the Nature Boy counters a headlock into a shinbreaker, followed by a multiple rolling knee drops to start working the leg once again. Bobby wants he says, "Make him work your match." He's like, "Wait, it's impossible. It's Hulk Hogan." He even rips the bandage off of Hulk's knee. No. Nate applies the figure four in the middle of the ring. And Hogan is writhing in pain. Hell yeah. Work grabbing at Mr. T until he eventually reverses the hold, forcing Flair to release it. Hulk decks the nature boy and goes to run the ropes, only for Nate to pull Mr. T in front of him as Hogan comes back, knocking the ref down. Ah, ref bump. Mr. T bump. Flair with a back suplex makes a cover, only for Hulk to immediately kick out. Fucker. The Nature Boy starts stomping on Mr. T, while Sherry starts climbing the cage. Hell yes. Only for Jimmy Hart to drag her back down, ripping her dress off of her. Whoa. I know, it's like, oh, okay. It's, it's, sure, why not Sherry's ass? She has lingerie on. I mean, yeah, yeah. We've seen her in... Less. Basically, this. Yeah, yeah, to- absolutely. I'm not. Uh, I'm not poo pooing it. Like it's a. It's a. It's a. Uh, I literally it, don't know if the dress coming off was supposed to happen. I'm sure it was. It felt like it was. It just. It was. It's the kind of thing you do to pop a crowd in a big match. Like it's totally, totally uh, good stuff. On the floor, Sensuous Sherry runs Hart into a cameraman and the guardrail, begins to climb again, but this time Sting jumps over. To grab her by their leg to keep her from making it inside the cage. Oh, Sting's holding. What Sting's is he gonna rip uh, off of her in the WCW prison. <laughs> Sting. Sting is the the guy. Another guy holding Hogan's pocket already. Sting and Cherry are back on the floor when a masked man crawls out from under the ring with his lead pipe Good and God. uses it across the back of the Stinger and Jimmy Hart. Sherry then climbs to the top of the cage and comes off with a double axe handle on Hogan. Are you fucking kidding me? As he has Nate in a double choke lift. But he no-sells it and turns to face Sensuous Sherry. Because, you know, all great faces hit women. The masked man has climbed to the top of the cage as Flair chop blocks Hulk's bad knee. Sherry then handcuffs Mr. T to the ropes before the nature boy throws Hogan towards the masked man holding the lead pipe out. Nate hits a stalling vertical suplex. But Hulk gets right back to his feet, Boo. ducking a double clothesline from Flair and Sherry, and delivers a double clothesline and body slams on both. If you're going to bump, you got to sell. But I guess, you know, we're talking about Hogan. The nature boy comes right back with chops, but again, Hogan no-sells, hitting clotheslines on them both and a back body drop on Nate. Sensua Sherry looks to climb back out of the cage, only for Hulk to press Slammer down to the mat, while Flair goes to climb out, which Hogan catches up with him to slam his head into the top of the cage, causing the nature boy to fall to the mat. It's funny, because Hogan slams him into the cage, but he like gives up at one point, and then there's a really embarrassing shot of Ric Flair slamming his own head into the cage, and it hurt. I was like, Hogan... You're just bad. Nobody else, nobody else would have done that. Like, Ric Flair's like, oh, when we do this spot, we do it X amount of times because we're wrestlers. Because we feel it. You fucking butthole. 
Hulk with the big boot on Sherry when Nate starts chopping away, only for Hogan to Hulk up. Finger wag, right hands, big boot, leg drop from Mr. T to make the count for the pin and the win. Post-match, the cage starts to raise back to the ceiling, followed by Hulk hugging Muhammad Ali, and then Hogan must pose while all the celebrities and their families leave down the aisle to the back. They were like, we're not sticking around here for this posing bullshit. Yeah, fuck this guy. We had to sit here this entire time. I mean, for fucking, like, I know that we talked about the no blood thing and that that's probably, that's a WCW you know, Ted Turner rule, rule. Yeah. but it's like no blood. But if I was Rick, I wouldn't want to bleed for this fucking asshole. True. But then at the same time, a little, bro- a little blood may have made this show just it was, much yeah. more mm-hmm. enjoyable mm-hmm. It, good. or just a little bit enjoyable. People, nobody bleeds like Ric Flair, brother. <sighs> Unless your last name is Rhodes. <laughs> you got some competition. Yeah. yeah. Tony and Bobby then try and make up for the fact that Flair's career is over with some kind words as he just kind of disappears from screen. But then we see the masked man come sneaking back out to the ring where he winds up forever, allowing Hulk to turn and block and beating him down. Hogan then rips the mask off and it's Brother Brutai. Hogan is shocked and betrayed. Mm, Or yeah, I wonder what it yeah wonder what it feels like to be a close personal friend of Hulk Hogan. Mm, Probably probably shock and betrayal at times. I don't know if I've ever wondered that. All of a sudden, Kevin Sullivan is there. What? Shivani says the building is starting to rumble like an avalanche, (gasps) and there's avalanche. A.K.A. Earthquake, who we haven't seen since WrestleMania 10, <laughs> episode 113. Oh, I popped for I I popped for Earthquake because it was Earthquake, and it, it was funny because I was like, "We're gonna feed Vader to Hogan," and I'm like, "Oh no, we're feeding Earthquake to Hogan a second time." Hulk tries to fend them off, but they are too much as Avalanche hits a power slam, elbow drop, and an Avalanche splash. Don't forget, he does the stomp. He does the stomp. I love the stomp. Sting runs back down to the ring, knocking Sullivan down, leaping in off the top rope with a crossbody to knock the other two down to clear the ring. We then get Mean Gene, Tony, and the Brain recapping what they just saw with Bobby breaking down in tears. And Mean Gene making fun of him Fuck, for it. Uh, mean because Gene, Okerlund's a fucking mark. Yeah, Mean Gene really got on my shit list in these last two shows. Yes. Because uh, I think that... Is it here? Or there's a part on either the last show or this show. Because they kind of run together in a weird way. Especially we watch them back to back. But they're vaguely similar feeling shows. But there's a moment where Bobby Heenan lets out like a woo. That like warms and breaks my heart at the same time because it's so cute and so like feel it feels genuine and mean gene being upset with bobby who whether he's choked up or not he it looks and feels legitimate to me i don't care if it's not 
real. It's Bobby Heenan. He's always he's always a little real. Tony then says their goodbyes as the credits begin to roll. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Halloween Havoc 1994? Um, Arn and Dusty was really, really good. It was a wrestling match that was really good. It was a really solid wrestling match. As I I'm doing like fucking Bill Clinton over here. <laughs> it was really good, but I'm still sad for just thinking. Yeah, Bobby's like as they go off, he yeah he says Ric Flair, thank you for 20 years of like you know greatest matches, and I'm just like ah, getting chills thinking about Bobby and the idea. Granted, we know it's not true, but the idea of this being like. The end of Ric Flair. I don't even have the energy to think of nice words. I hated this show. You like the show less than the last one? I did. It's hard. There's one bright orange reason that adds to my hatred. Yeah, I just... I I enjoyed the Arn and Dustin match. And I got to see Steve Austin for a couple minutes... And that was about it. I mean, Austin and Duggan was better than it should have been, or had to, or could, or should, or had to have been. But it still wasn't Austin with really anybody else on the on the like roster. Yeah, that's why I didn't even really talk about the match. I just got to see Steve Austin for a couple. It's better than like Austin versus like Guardian Angel. I got to see Austin more on this show than I got to on the last one, so I'll take that as a plus, but it's it was a sad show. It's one of the shittier Halloween Havocs that I can think of recently. It's hard to say we had a couple of good or like maybe a good one and a half good Havocs recent recently. And even the bad Havocs were at least like so ridiculous that you could there was something to talk about. And here, it's just like, all right, well, Honky Tonk's fucking in the mix. Yuck. Fucking Dave Sullivan and Kevin Sullivan. What did that do? Dustin and Arn had the only real wrestling match on the show. Uh, Duggan's here. Uh, yuck. Guardian Angel, I guess hopefully that's over. Uh, Bunkhouse Buck is still around. And then Hogan beats Flair in a fucking cage match. Without any blood. I mean, when you have a lot of the same people fighting the same people on two pay-per-views in a row, and the bulk of your time is used up by, this is everything that's happened between Arn and Dustin for the last eight months. There's all, yeah, like, the, there's This is there's everything really... that's happened between Hulk and Ric Flair for the last four months, and this is everything that's happened between the Guardian Angel and Vader on two shows in a row. All three of those packages are it's, pretty lengthy. Yeah. And it and really eat up a lot of the time. shit out of me. Yeah, because I mean, granted, we've watched all the stuff, but the packages seem long. So we could have had maybe another wrestling match in here. Mm-hmm. Maybe like an actual wrestling match. Who are we gonna get, Brother Brutai versus? I, that's the problem. Where'd they uh, all go? Where'd they all go? We just we threw them all to the Mass fucking Man Number One versus Mass Man Number Four. Yeah, we threw them all to the wolves at the last show. We fucking like lost Steamboat, but. Due to injury, we threw Cactus away. We're fucking tossing Rick to the wolves. Yep. Um, oh, but wait. We've got a new friend, or another friend of Hogan's that's now joined the party. So I 
think I probably like this show more than you guys. <laughs> I like it more than Shane does, for sure. I hated it. I'm just I mean, kind of sad. That's all. The, I have the, a, the, fir- a, the first match is absolutely horrible. Yep. But I feel like each match after that, the show gets incrementally better. Mm. Not other than the Sullivan match, which... Thank you. Like, it's literally, five, it's literally, literally if they switch the th- second and third match, then it literally does... It's a, it's a slow build. That's true. A tag match isn't bad. I mean, yes, Arn and Dustin is the best match wrestling-wise, work rate-wise. Oh, absolutely. But the main event, okay, it is overbooked. Mm-hmm. We can all agree with that. Yes. But... It is exciting. The moment that... Sherry starts climbing that cage from that moment to the end of the show. Is exciting. It's fun. It's it's kind of fun. It's I agree completely. Sherry is my MVP of the show. I agree completely. Because that double axe act, handle off the top of the cage. I'm, I'm getting choked up thinking about it. She did that and she also took a fucking power slam from Hogan. Sherry is yeah. a fucking queen. Sherry's and she always been. She's always been, but whenever like when she ha- when she she always shows up. But when she's put into a big spot, she delivers absolutely. Completely and absolutely. Puts it all on the line. Just fucking puts herself out there. It's She's so good. Mm-hmm. But in a show, well, I'll save it for disappointing. <laughs> well, let's go right there right now. <laughs> good. Where, where's the smart marks at? There. All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. It's Hoganified, baby. There's an orange sheen. We've been spray tanned. We've so been spray tanned. What are some of the best moments of the show? I mean, my favorite. I'm gonna. My favorite one is the after Guardian Angel suplexes Harley. Vader hits the splash for the pin. It's the best. Finish. It is like the Perfect best finish. finish. Perfect. The whole. Guardian Angel being more concerned with Harley Race when Vader is right there. Yeah. Is kind of. Dumb to be, if you think about it at yes, all. Yes, but the Guardian Angel's dumb too. But they had to throw some. I mean, Harley Race has just been taking, like in that video in that video package before the match, plus in the match, like all the bumps that he took. It's just like, what are you doing, Harley? Dude, like like three years ago, time like not on this show, but three years time wise, as we work through the years of wrestling, I was complaining about Harley Race taking bumps. In like early early nineties WCW, and he was just literally taking one as he was coming in with a diving headbutt. And yeah, he's kind of done less of the diving headbutt, but he's just taken fucking flatback bumps, and he's a sack of potatoes. Like I'm not trying to be mean, but like the man worked hard for a long time, and he's and those guys didn't take care of themselves the way people do now. Yeah, but yeah, beautiful beautiful finish that really caught me off guard, where like I didn't expect it the, that finished to come like that and I thought it was creative and legitimately exciting. Yeah. I'll go with that. And I mean the Arn Arn Dustin is just a really good wrestling match. Yeah. It's not special. It's just what like I want it's a whole the, show to be. I want a whole you, show to be. It's exactly what you expect those two guys to deliver. Yes. A solid wrestling match. And I want And it's what I want. Is a solid wrestling match between those two. With good, with good reason. They're I upset don't need, for a reason. I don't need spectacular 
match from these guys. Uh-uh. I know they're going to deliver a solid match that I'm going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. This isn't and for the, the heavyweight exactly title. These guys had a like a mid card, a high style uh, like match. a mid card style match, but a mid card style match that didn't treat itself as a mid card match because these guys are professionals. They're fucking wrestlers. They love wrestling. Yeah. So they had a fucking wrestling match. And I would love to see a show that has wrestling matches that lead up to a wrestling match, that lead up to a cage match where you can be overbooked and somebody bleeds and something wild happens. But it's kind of hard when you get some, you know, goofy stuff or some people that are there. Like, Jim Duggan shouldn't be fucking calling an Austin match. Or whatever. And maybe Austin was like, oh, this is what we'll do because this is what you're willing to do or whatever. But It's what you can do. Yeah, yeah. This is what he can do, so we're going to make the best of it. And it's like, where's my... Yeah, we all went regal, Austin. <laughs> you know? Like, who are the four best wrestlers in this company right now? Outside of Ric Flair, we've got Austin, Arn, Dustin, and Regal. That's kind of it. Vader is an attraction, and Vader does does vader but he's not he's not those guys and what i like not to discount vader at all but like vader's not gonna have a mid card the the like a mid card vader match is vader cactus jack yeah like we saw at halloween havoc 93 which is an incredible match Mm -hmm. and a like attraction match that is like it's a it's a brawl how about most disappointing because i know we got a lot of these that's I will say I'm kind of excited that Earthquake came in to probably end up being destroyed by Hogan instead of Vader is my hopes. I mean, that's a plus, I guess, I don't in know. that sense. But it's just, for me, most disappointing is Brother Brudai is our big reveal, followed by Earthquake. Like that shock face that Hogan gave. Like, like you're, you're not surprised, bro. Yeah. Like he, it was, told, it was, he just reminded him before the match to go back and get his mask. He didn't have it on him. It was like the worst <laughs> surprise face ever. And then, yeah, it's like, br- Brother Brudai? Like, really? that That's the bad guy? That's going to be your next opponent after having a, three matches with Flair? Where Flair fucking legitimately just caved to your will and did what he could with you? Just like... Oh and also, like, did a retirement match? Yeah. That's actually the thing that I'm most dis- like. They, they call it a retirement match. They, it's, a re- it's a retire. It's a retirement match, and then literally he rolls out of the ring and walks to the back, and literally you have Tony and Bobby say a couple words about it, and that's all you get. Yep. This man has Carried been for carrying years. your company since 1983. And he- eleven years of his life, he's. Blood, sweat, and tears put into this company, and you're just going to job him out, and he's going to walk to the back, he's, and no one's going to give a shit. He's it's the greatest. Not the same as Lex Luger leaving to go do bodybuilding. No, Ric Flair is the greatest champion of all time. He's Rick the guy Flair that did the beating Barry Windham and Barry Windham rolling out and riding off in the sunset for a year to yeah. gain. In those early '80s, like guys would get the belt and they couldn't fucking hang. They couldn't do the schedule. Ric Flair did the schedule and never fucking gave up. He he he's so such a hard working guy that actually cares about the sport. And then a guy 
who legitimately doesn't give a shit. <laughs> we all know it. It's a sad and like one of those things where it's like, oh, like some things are life affirming. This is just like this is one of those things where it's like, well, there's no such thing as deserved, and this is and this is part of like what proves it. But I mean, we know it's all a Hogan thing because you know Hogan must pose, but it's on WCW. It's on Bischoff for pulling like allowing this bullshit. Yep. Also, I mean, Hogan, I mean, uh, Ric Flair, when he had the book, he gave you the best year of WCW wrestling that ever happened in 89, where he did book himself on top, but with like a trio of trilogies that all are incredible and each match is great. We were raving on shows a few weeks before... Six months ago. Yeah, a few weeks before Hogan first appeared on TV. Because WCW was like an off-again, off-on thing, where it's like, oh, this was a good show. This was a really good show. This was kind of okay. They lost the plot, and then then they get it back. And now we're just in this weird new landscape. We're hoping to find the piece of silver in the yeah yeah we're not even looking for gold at this mm. point we're, we're hoping for just some silver yeah yeah it's like okay well i guess we're yeah. just gonna throw some dynamite into no, this hole and see just if we can find for that petrified piece of shit that i can just pick up and throw away really quickly instead of having to like sift through all this colonel parker diarrhea <laughs> <laughs> nice little throwback best performer i think michael and i have kind of said that Sherry. Sherry. We're going to give it to Sherry because totally she, she like, added so much to that The moment event. that she kind of got involved in the main event is the moment that that match turned fun for me. Agreed. And like Arn and Dustin are always about as good as it gets on any show they're on. So, you know, those guys did what we expect them to do. Sherry went above and beyond, but she always does. But yeah. she really went above and beyond in a place where we needed it. Yeah. Where we actually really needed it. How about most surprising? Earthquake. I didn't know Earthquake was going to show up like this. I knew Earthquake shows up in WCW. I mean, did you know Brother Brutai was the man under the mask? No. Because we hadn't told you, so. I mean, I know we I know I we both knew. One day, but oh, no, yeah, I no, totally... I, I, think, I think I did know, but that was, but I didn't, I think I, off mic last time we recorded, I was like, hey, like, who is it? And I think Shane said it, and I was like, oh, yeah. whatever. But I, I also. It, but I totally forgot about it until after, and it's like, oh, wait, yeah, that did happen. Oops. Yeah. I mean, whatever. <laughs> like, it's, it, like, who could it have been that would have been more, that would have been exciting? That's the hard question. He just left um, WWF not too long ago. He just probably can't compete yet. He would be the surprising uh, one. But uh, Technically, at this point, I don't think he was gone. Was he not yet? Okay. I think he was technically still under contract. Ah. Savage. Oh, yeah. Savage would have been incredible. Mm-hmm. Savage would have made a lot more sense. But... It would have been incredible. You can't, you know, it's not there. But, like, who who would have been, yeah. like... Nobody's cared about I think he, I think he's fired. I think he's let go, like, a week later after this show. So that they would have just waited another month before. But they probably... They didn't already... know that. Hindsight. Like, it's probably that's true. the big reveal. Yeah, it's just all hindsight. And it's like, well, it couldn't have been Earthquake because nobody looks like Earthquake. Yeah. Earthquake's huge. Tugboat. That's what we need. I mean, right. no, if they can bring in an avalanche, why can't you bring in a... Typhoon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Typhoon. Well, he was already a Typhoon. Yeah, that's what he became. How about a tag but, team of Ricky Steamboat and to think of the Tugboat, and it's called the Yacht Club? <laughs> Which makes no sense, because those aren't yachts. Come sail away. Yeah. 
Ricky comes uh, comes out on like piggyback on the back of Typhoon. I mean, hell, bring in Van Hammer. Give me somebody other than fucking brother. Yeah, what about um? What was that guy's name? Bring in Van Hammer. Make everybody think it's the Warrior because he's got his blonde curly hair coming out from under this black mask. Who is the other guitar guy? Max Payne. Max Payne. Uh, What happened to him? Or uh, uh, or Raven? uh, Johnny Flamingo. (laughs) Johnny Flamingo was fun. Raven will show back up eventually. I wish it was PN News. I'd take anybody over Bruce. <laughs> I used to love Brudai, but yeah. sorry, I loved Brutus. Yeah. Brudai. You mean Honk Tonk Give two shits. <laughs> no, I can tell the difference. <laughs> They're not identical yeah. like the I'm, I'm the guy over here. It's like all white guys with poofy hair look the same. Yeah. Well, poofy hair and bad gimmicks. Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. Uh oh. This week, the category is pay per view. We're back, and it's time to play the feud. Let's have it. I will give you the last five matches of a show. You give me that show and year. Points are decided by when you get the answer correct, starting with five points for the first match. Descending from there. All right. I'm going to not get this one, but I'm going to try. The last five matches. Okay. So the first match, Nikita Koloff versus Big Van Vader for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. I got a bit of a time frame in my head, but I'm going to need more than that. Yeah. Next. Second match, Stunning Steve Austin and Dr. Death Steve Williams versus Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes for the NWA and WCW Tag Team Championships. Ugh, I have no idea what the show is, but I have a guess on the year. How did I forget that Steve Austin had to team with Dr. Death? Because um, you try and forget all yeah, Dr. Death matches? True. Okay, uh, next. Okay, for three points. Ravishing Rick Rude with Medusa versus Masahiro Chono with Hiro Matsuda. For the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship with Harley Race and Kazuke Sasaki as guest referees. Super Show 91? Incorrect. (laughs) You can get all the way to the headline match chain at this point. True. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, what's the next one? For two points, The Barbarian versus Ron Simmons. For the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Fuck, why'd I go to Tokyo? <laughs> I probably got the year right. Show titles. I know. That's, when you said all the Japanese guys, I was like, oh, okay. And then Dr. Death being a guy that worked in Japan a lot, I was like, it could be a super show. But then when you said the third match, I was like, oh, well, that didn't happen in Japan. Is it Starcade 92? No. I want to say it's Starcade. What fucking year was it, though? <sighs> Flair was already gone because Simmons had the championship. I was thinking 91, 92 because I remember Koloff coming back. Yeah. Uh, I'm 90, I'll stick with 92. Starcade 92? Yeah. Is incorrect. Oh. The final match was Sting versus Jake Roberts in a Coal Miners oh, Club match. Halloween Havoc 92. That's right. So no points for either one of you. So we're going into that's our a, that was a good one, though. final few weeks of trivia questions. And what's our score? 
Shane at 97. Michael at 55. Oh, yeah. Okay. But there's lots of points <laughs> available yeah. in the next five weeks. That's right. You could go double or nothing. I, I was trying off. to get the early points where I was like, super show. Because th- the first match was, you know, had Dr. Death in it. And then the second match had a bunch of uh, uh, Japanese wrestlers in it. So I was thinking super show. And I was wrong. But when you said the third match, I was like, well, not super show. Not a super show match. See, for some reason in my head, I was picturing who the hell did he fight before Barbarian? I don't even remember. But I was thinking that's who he fought at Halloween Havoc. Next week, November to Remember, 1994. We're, uh, this is our first show post uh, We're all extreme. Po- yeah, po- yeah, post uh, exposing our extremities. Are you looking forward to it? I, mean, I, I, I am. am. We're going I to, mean, we're going to Philly. So I I mean, am. Plus, we just came off of bit, two WCWs. That were underwhelming. So, so yeah. So maybe let's you know put an M80 in our mouth. Yes. And see if we survive. Bring me some blood. Bring me. Bring me some joy. Yeah. Funk. Funk. Funk will probably be on the show. Funk will bleed for you. He might be there. He might. I don't know. I haven't looked at the card. I'm just you know. I've never actually watched any November to remember, so I'm kind of looking forward to it. Music from this week's show is Bite the Bullet by F. Shelley and PRS. (laughs) And our main event was won by Hogan. Can you play the Kevin or Dave Sullivan song instead? (laughs) I want to be a Hulkamaniac. Can I add that as my most disappointing (laughs) fucking song? Can we go back to best moments? Yeah, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. This is our... But Hogan won, so we're going to play his theme song, American Made, by Jimmy Hart. We're American Made. That's how I was, I was whenever you say American Made, I always sing it, uh, like, I can't even think of the song now. American Band. So if you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns... Recipes. We're definitely going to Philly, so Shane could use some help. Oh. Sure. Town Philly back again. I'll never, <laughs> never gonna not do the joke. <laughs> you can always email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H I S T O X. We'll talk to you next week. Later, Bucky Terry. Ric Flair forever.